Welcome to the Diving Pod. I'm David Dinsmore, 11-time national champion and former University of Miami diver. And I'm Heath Calhoun. And I'm Aaron Rooney. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Sideline Scout. Uh, make sure you get over to sidelinescout.com, check out their poolside live package, get hooked up with the best in the business in terms of video replay. Absolutely one of the most important tools for diving to key and hone in on those fine details of each dive, of each part of each dive. And uh, Poolside Live is seamless to use and really helps you accomplish all you want to with your video replay system. So again, sidelinescout.com, check out their Poolside Live package, and um, we'll get on to David here. Awesome. So David, uh, just kind of walk our listeners through how you got involved in the sport and kind of how you got to the University of Miami, especially that recruiting process. A lot of our athletes and listeners have been asking about that. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of my whole story with diving was I started when I was about seven years old. You know, I jumped off some of the diving boards at like the local pool in the summertime and um, did a little bit of gymnastics, like you got to do a front flip and a back flip on a trampoline. So kind of just basic level there. And then kind of got into diving and you know I just loved it from the start and you know I did that I did like club lessons um, at like my local high school pool for two years and then I got um, invited to join USLE Diving Academy at the time which was um, coached by Drew Johansson and um, K.R. Lee and I was with them until that changed into Ohio State Dive Club and was with them all the way until I went to the University of Miami so and then while I was there I think we, um, I got to go to a bunch of um, junior international meets. You got to go to Dresden once, which was super cool. Junior Worlds, Junior Pan Ams. Um, we got to travel the country and the world with a bunch of my buddies. It was great. <laughs> and the, the recruiting process to, uh, to get to Miami, what was that like? Um, the rec- so I kind of had, had a little bit of a different recruiting process than a lot of people in the sense that, like, I was, um, I was fortunate enough to go to the World Cup um, leading into my senior year. So a lot of the schools that I was looking at, um, I was actually training with um, at Worlds. So like um, I was looking at IU, Texas, and University of Miami were kind of my top three. So I was spending a lot of time um, with Drew, Matt, and Randy. So, and I kind of took that as an opportunity, you know, because like how I look at it, you know, is when you're picking where you want to go to school. Like, I think the biggest thing that you can think about is not who is there, like not kind of what facilities and stuff are there, but what coach do you connect with the most? Because Randy and I connected on such a deep level. I mean, like it's, it kind of went past like a coach athlete relationship to the point where like, we were like best buddies and like, yes, there was a giant age gap. So but other than <laughs> that, like Randy was my guy and the same thing with Dario. So I think that's kind of more important in my mind, at least, um, because, you know, you're going to the pool every day, you know, you're spending, mm. you know, four or five, six hours a day together. And, you know, you're going to kind of, you know, butt heads at times and, you know, you're just going to work together every day. So um, just having someone that you can kind of relate to and talk to your problems helps a lot because, you know, they want to help you just as much as you want to help them. So just being on the same page is a big thing. And um, just, and that was the best thing about me and Randy was we just hit it off from the start. I remember when he actually called me before we went to the meet uh, during like the recruiting process, it was on my way down to practice at Ohio state at the time. And for the first 20 minutes of the car ride, all we talked about was fishing. And then like the last 30 seconds he goes, Oh, Hey, yeah. So, I mean, if you want to come on a recruiting trip, like go for it. Like we'd love to have you down. 
So it was very <laughs> kind of unorthodox in that sense, but yeah, it was great. <laughs> it uh, <clears throat> it seems like that entire uh, Miami crew down there is all unorthodox recruiting. Like if you go back and listen to like Mia's recruiting process, Emma's recruiting process, it's like just Randy being like, yeah, if you want to be here, like we'll love to have you. And that's it. And that's all you need to hear. Um, but you touched on it real briefly. You mentioned like Randy's your guy. Like what made that connection so special, so quick for you? Um, you know, it was just the fact that like I could sit down with him and have a conversation and, you know, just chit chat and, um, you know, just mess around with on pool deck. And that, that was one of the biggest things for how I like to be on the pool deck was I wasn't like, you know, I, you know, I had my moments where I was in the zone, you know, I listened to my music, but I was very social, you know, like even during mm -hmm. competitions, I would sit next to Randy and Dario in finals because I liked being a part of the entire thing. I liked watching everyone dive. I liked mm -hmm. talking to them. You know, I, I like to, I wanted to be a part of the whole moment. So for me, I wanted to be with a coach that like was going to be with me in that same moment and wanted to be there just as bad as I did. So I think that's why Randy and I got along so well, because like I could come out of the water and, you know, like we could like look at each other and we both had an idea of what happened, but like we could still laugh about it or like we could make like a cheeky little comment about <laughs> it. Like say I went a little bit over on his, uh, on a uh, back or something. It was like, well, if you didn't put your head down, it would have been better. And so we kind of <laughs> yeah. like would mess around a little bit like that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. So Miami has such a rich history of diving. What about that program? And Randy kind of puts it at the top. So the thing that really sets Miami apart from a lot of other programs is um, just because the, I mainly because the fact that we don't have a men's swim team. Yeah. So Randy has like, he's pro I think, I don't know if he's the only diving coach like that or one of the few, but you know, he doesn't have, you know, like certain pressures that other schools have. Like when we showed up to NC's race, he sees, you know, like it was just about us, you know, we just had yeah. to go in and have fun. Whereas like, a lot of other programs, you know, you're gunning for an ACC title or a conference title or a championship title. So you kind of have different like expectations and things that you have to, to meet. And um, so I think that's why, and I like that about Miami. That was one of the things that attracted me about it was, you know, I was a platform diver and not that I wasn't a springboard diver, but I'm five, six and 135 pounds soaking wet. I mean, I can bend a springboard a little bit, but there's only so many times you can do a back two and a half tuck or pike and get away with it. So that's kind of why I liked Miami because I could focus on tower and, you know, that was what we were there to do. And it allowed me to kind of, you know, work on a lot of things that I wouldn't have had the time to work on. Uh, without that, like fixing certain corrections and just, um, you know, especially with injuries, you know, yeah. like I had to do some springboard. I think that would have kind of, that could have changed things a little bit. So, so follow-up question and Aaron normally lets me ask this question, but it's not on here. And you touched on it for, for any of our listeners that have not seen this feature they did on you yet. They need to go check it out at Miami's athletic site. It's, it's absolutely incredible, but you touch on it in there, but what did it mean to you to be part of that legacy? Like you are a national champion, a world medalist, like, like for as long as people are around when they talk Miami diving, like your name will be mentioned in that group of people. What does that mean to you? Oh my God. I mean, just, and that was like, I just so much pride. I mean, pride is the, the, the best word to describe it. Cause like when I got to UM, you know, all they would talk about was all of the, you know, the national champions that they'd had before all the Olympians, like all the world team members, and just the people that had gone from like 19, you know, 89, whenever Randy started at UM until the present time. I mean, he always had someone at Worlds, always had someone win a national title, USA diving and NCAA conference mm -hmm. stuff. Like that's just, that's just, there, there was expectations. And, you know, like 
and you went to UM because you wanted to be a part of that group. You like to, you know, succeed and drive and, and to win. And I think, you know, and having that other mentalities of like, you know, like Riyadh was a great training mm -hmm. partner of mine mm -hmm. because all we wanted to do is beat each other. That's all we wanted to do. I was on 10 meter and he was on three meter, but every time we were on gainers, it was a competition. So you could do the best one. So he made me a lot better. And I hope that I helped him a lot, a little bit as well, but it was just, you know, you wanted to, you didn't want to let Randy down. You know, it was like, okay, well, these guys yeah. all won. So like, I can't not win because like, you know, we've got to make sure that we keep this going. We can't let anyone kind of pass us up. So it's just yeah. always a competitive thing, like making sure that we kind of, you know, kept Randy at where Randy needed to be. And we just kind of kept progressing. Yo, Bri Adam has one of those uh, 307s that just oh. lives rent free in my head. I mean, that, that, that dude was different, man. That was fun to watch. It was awesome, man. I, <laughs> what a Bri Adam, every time that Bri Adam would do a great gainer in a competition, I would know it just from the, when he, the second he took off the board because I saw him do so many. And I knew when he had that right top that it was just going in. So I would just stand there with my arm and <laughs> drop it for like 95 points. And I would just That's go. Sick. That's, That's like, awesome. That's like Steph Curry looking away when he knows it's going <laughs> yeah. in before it's even in. The, yeah, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. So, and then, you know, so walk our listeners through some of your final competitions and then what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. So kind of final competitions, um, it's kind of like two different ways I think about it. We had the 2020 season, you know, leading into COVID. And then we had our 2021 season um, year after, or kind of the COVID, like the extended year. So like kind mm -hmm. of leading into the Olympics in 2020 was probably in the best mindset that I'd been competitively and like kind of where my training was going. And kind of all I was thinking about was, you know, it was, that was a special time too, because we had four guys on our men's team for the first time in like 20 years. So our whole goal was to get all four guys at NCs and get all four guys on in the top eight. Mm -hmm. So that was the whole thing that we were gunning for. So everyone was just grinding, you know, making sure that we got to where we needed to be. And you know, like I had a great winter nationals that year. I think I got my personal best was like 540 something. And um, just, we were just on a roll, you know, and everyone was diving well. And it was just um, like, just the environment was great. And then kind of when COVID happened, um, it kind of, it really kind of messed up my mental training in the sense of like, you know, I always had, I knew exactly when everything was going to be. Okay. Okay. All right. It's March. All right. I've got NCs. I got zones. And then after that, we get to focus on USA nationals. We get trials coming up or we got, you know, world cup meet or we've got a world series meet. So kind of everything was structured very rigorously. And I, that was very good for me because I knew exactly what was coming up next. So right. kind of when COVID hit and especially dealing with a lot of injuries, you know, I couldn't, like we wouldn't have all the access to a lot of the facilities um, because I had graduated at that point. So they weren't letting people that weren't <laughs> students into certain facilities at certain times. So like I couldn't weight train with my team and I couldn't go into the team room at certain times because of that. So like in the training room. So like kind of having to deal with that and navigate that kind of affected my mental uh, ability a little bit and kind of just where my body was at that point was I just was not physically able to get the reps off because my, my back was so bad at that point, but still I was mentally like ready to compete, but uh, kind of like coming into the last two competitions. Um, I think it got to the point where my physical health was so bad that it was impeding on my mental health. And I had done, I like was really proud of myself for so long. I was able to kind of separate those two, but it got to the point where like, I couldn't stand up straight. You know, it was tough to just do lineups and like, so that started to really just wear at me. And I, at, towards the end, that kind of 
took over, unfortunately, but, you know, still just um, had the mindset of like, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Like when you got an injury, like when it's time to compete, like you don't have a choice. Like, like mm-hmm. you can scratch if you want to, but then like you don't get to compete. So like for me, that was kind of where I had my most fun because like I, I like to say that I was a gamer and <laughs> like, you know, and Randy says that too, because like you didn't like when you went up there, I was always tracking the scoreboard. I always knew what everyone else was doing because I followed the whole competition. So I would just see what everyone else was doing. It's like, okay, like first two rounds, like, okay, I just want to kind of start strong, you know, do, you know, inward and arm stand. We'll try to get to up, up to like 160 after two, you know, have a good base and then kind of <laughs> go from there. And then um, after that, that's when kind of, I would say the fun started because that's when, you know, everyone started to kind of pick up a little bit, like everything's ramping up. So she died do a dive for 90 points. I'm going to do it for 95 points. Okay. He missed a little bit. All right. I'm going to capitalize on that and go even more to kind of space out that gap a little bit. And so that's kind of how I like to compete. And so, but towards the, like uh, towards the end of the list too, it was like, you would kind of, I tried to stagger my list as in like a competitive way. And like, you know, I would always have a couple strong dives at the beginning and then um, a few dives in the middle that I knew were good but could kind of go either way and then have a strong dive at the end. So that way you kind of have it structured. So if you got your juices flowing, it's going to age you. But at the same time, if you did a good first three or four, you had a little bit of wiggle room. If you weren't kind of having, it wasn't your best day. So you could have a little bit of margin for error there. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So <clears throat> specifically, uh, Dins, what, what is wrong with your back? What was wrong with your back? What was ailing you? Yeah, so I had a herniated disc in L5-S1. Basically, so it's like two donuts, and you've got jelly in the middle, and I have no jelly left. So all of that was just kind of like the nerves and everything were just getting pinched. So I think I went through like, I think four rounds of um, like steroid injections in my back. I did a couple nerve ablations, and uh, we pretty much did everything that we could besides getting full back surgery yeah. to kind of mitigate the problem. Cause that was the, we didn't want to do that because I didn't want to risk not being able to get into a Tucker pipe. Yeah. So, I have uh, I have one of those as well. A little higher that, that L4 S what did you say? L4 S1 L5 S1 L5 S1. That's low. That's yeah. It's like, like right scary. at your tailbone. So like right yeah. where you connect like pretty much with this, like your knuckles here, right at that point where you extend and yep. snap back is did- where it was. Did your legs ever like give out? I mean, that's so low where you would feel that. Yeah. So that was actually what happened the first time that I knew I had a problem. I was doing a back train at Pike and all of a sudden I had like a shooting pain in my back and my feet started to go numb. There was actually a couple of times where uh, my left leg would go completely numb and uh, my, my, both my feet would start to tingle. So you'd kind of catch, sometimes you'd catch me just like beating on my foot to try to like regain a little bit of feeling. And sometimes it was, yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> dude oh my gosh so to uh to backtrack you had mentioned something about you being a gamer and so um when we interviewed dario dario actually i was talking to him about one of my athletes that i have trying to help them just get better at competing and he goes ah you want to know the most frustrating thing we had dins and dins is amazing when the lights are on pressure's on he's gonna do it he goes but every now and then at practice he would just get bored and it would just kind of go up and down so he goes we started looking at him in the middle of practice and going, all right, Steele just did his front four and a half for nines. Like you need eight and a half nines now to win. So like, 
how did that help your training? Cause he's like, we start he, and he goes, sometimes he'd hit it. Sometimes he wouldn't, but it at least helped us at practice get more like, how did that help you when they started adding that into your training? I think that was probably one of my favorite things, like just doing practice lists and mock lists and, you know, having that, um, it was like a little push because like, you know, like I said, I like to follow the scoreboard. So when he would, when Dario or Randy would say like, all right, Steele just popped it for nine and a half. You need to do it for tens right now. If you want to go to this meet, like there wasn't an option. It was like, you have to do this right now or else you're not going to travel to this world's or world cup or world series. Like you have to, you have, you don't have a choice. Yeah. So that's, that kind of made it a lot easier because my brain would just shut off and I'd go into autopilot mode because I knew that my body knew everything that I needed to do, right. but my mind sometimes would get in the way. And so it's when I would like be the most relaxed and the most calm and the most confident. Um, that's when I would do my best dives. Like I knew that I knew exactly how to do that dive perfectly that I would do it. Right. Awesome. Yeah, that's sick. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit synchro. You've had quite a few different synchro partners. What is it like? Is it easy to mix and match some similarities and differences between the different uh, pairings? Yeah, so the two kind of guys I did synchro mainly with uh, were Steele and Brandon. And um, Steele and I did it a bunch when we were younger just because we were kind of both the uh, same age growing up. You know, Steele and I competed against each other from the time that we were like 10, 11, 12 years old all the way until the end. So we were just always competing against each other. And it got to the point where, you know, I had the, a list that was compatible enough with his. So then we started doing synchro and, you know, Steele and I were good, especially when we were younger because we were still so quick and uh, we were able to just kind of mix up together. Um, no problem. And then got, it got to the point where, you know, Steele's <laughs> three and I'm five six. So that was a little bit of a problem. And um, as like, I kind of got older, I was able to kind of move a little bit quicker and was able to do, couple different dives and Steele started doing it with Dave. Mm -hmm. So I kind of took a little bit of a backseat to synchro for a couple of years there. And then Brandon and I started to do it together again and come 2018, 2019, 2020. And Brandon and I, we probably had the hardest time syncing up just because we were still trying to kind of figure out a couple of things in our own diving. And we were focusing so much on those little corrections that it would kind of mess up our timing. And we would just both get in our heads about it. Whereas like, Thinking back, like when I was, when I was in juniors, synchro was easy because all you did, you didn't think about it. It was like, okay, you ready? One, two, three, go. And then right. it was like, okay, you went. And then you get older and then you think about everything because you're, you know, you're growing up, you understand it all. So you're just overanalyzing everything. So I think that's kind of two ways to look at it. Is, you know, it can be as simple as, hey, you know, we got to do this dive, you know, go one, two, three, go. Or at the same time, like, hey, we need to slow this down. You mm -hmm. know, like for Brandon and I, it was like back twister was something that we worked on a lot. You know, I would like sometimes he would like not there's nothing bad on Brandon, but sometimes he would like kind of cut it a little bit early. And kind of how I would do it is I would kind of go up and into it and he would kind of go down and back. So he would kind of like our timing would be off just mm -hmm. because of the way we would do the dives and that kind of would get in both of our heads. So we would try mm -hmm. to fix I would try to fix my dive to be more like his and he would try to do it like <laughs> me rather than just trying to do our own dives how we individually would. That's a, that's a really good point. And there's an awesome video on Instagram right now of Anton down Jenkins and a, he's doing mixed synchro. I'm not sure his female partner there, but they're doing full out. And if you've seen Anton do full out on three meter, I mean, he gets into that pike and then gets out for a twist right away. And he's leading up double out leading, doing triple out that kind of thing. So that full out, it's really easy for him. It was, it's such a cool video to see how he, 
um, hurdles maybe a little bit differently and then throws and holds that pike longer um, to match his female synchro partner. I mean, I was like blown away when I watched the dive because I've seen him do it just himself. And it's very, very different. I mean, it doesn't even look like the same dive, but it looks fantastic synchro. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, and I think just with that too, I mean, there's a lot of great synchro teams who didn't necessarily have the same hurdle or approach, mm -hmm. but still did the same dive. Like Sam Dorman and Mikey Hickson, for a great example, you know, Sam didn't hop in and Mikey did, but they still did a 109 for 95 points. <laughs> yeah. So, they, I mean, they made it work. So yeah, for sure. All right, so before we get into kind of what you're doing now, do you ever get the itch to get back into the sport and coach? Yes, I do. And I, I've i had to, like, it's been really tough for me in that aspect because I tried to coach a little bit. Like, just throughout college, I coached a little bit. But just kind of where I got to in my career was it got to the point where like I couldn't really explain how to do some of the corrections that I was doing. I just did it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and like, that was like, and we had worked so long to do those corrections that I'd forgotten like all the little micro steps. Cause I could just naturally do it. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the biggest issues that like of the reason why I haven't hopped into coaching is because I, I can break down a lot of stuff really simply, but I can also get so technical about like the little tiniest change in a dive. That's just going to go over and, everyone's head so like i don't have that separation of being able to explain it all in layman's terms so that's that why i haven't gotten into coaching just because i it would be a service to them because i can't really explain it the way that's going to help like in most people like if like in certain like elite situations i can help like with corrections and yeah. stuff but like over a broad scale i kind of struggle for that kind of layman terms yeah. He basically yeah. was just like, I was too, I was so good. I can't say it the easy way. <laughs> it's, it's the hardest. I was trying to say, it's just, I couldn't like, I, no, it it's, words. yeah, no, it's, it's funny. I liked how you said it because we've talked about it <clears throat> recently, I think on here, Aaron, where we say, you know, as coaches, I talked about it in a sports psych group with my athletes because the sports psych people were like, talk about how you dealt with meat anxiety. And I'm like, that's something I think I really struggle with my athletes to teach them. Cause like, I just didn't get nervous. I was like yourself. Mm -hmm. I would watch the meet. I'd be joking around with Aaron. We would scream. I'd watch the person right before me do a dive for sevens and be like, all right, I got to like, and so I struggled to like help them because that came so naturally. You said it great. And it's like, mm -hmm. but all this stuff, every, everything else I sucked at. So I had to figure out the way to get good at but, it. And it's, it's kind of the artist versus the technician or the artist and the engineer, right? Like you Absolutely. can feel it, you know, what's yeah. going on, but actually saying the technical aspect of it, it's like, Oh, okay. How, how would I do that? How would I explain that? And obviously we need a balance of both to be truly mm -hmm. incredible, whether it's diving or coaching, but mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, we have one thing that's more prevalent than the other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and then another, oh, good, David, no, you're good. Go ahead. And just for me, like, it was tough, too, because, you know, when I, I grew up, you know, when Dartfish was the big thing. So I I probably studied tens of thousands of hours of video just and but that was to figure out how to best help me. So, like, I figured out I grabbed all the tools that I could to benefit myself, yep. you know, so like I figured out how this like certain correction would do this. But, you know, for someone else, that'd be the worst thing you could ever tell somebody. So mm -hmm. I just focused on the little things that were going to make me a diff make a difference in my diving. So that's what I focused on. I like I could look at like the broader things, but like it was more of like 
if something wasn't directly going to affect the way that my dives went, then like, I didn't really put too much thought into it. I was looking into the exact things that were going to help me and benefit mm -hmm. me in the long run. Yo, Heath, I got a question for you. How good okay. of a synchro team would David be with Carson Tyler? <laughs> Dude, that would have been fun. That's what <laughs> we say. It's, it's funny. Cause you, you know, a lot of what we've talked about and that was featured on your thing and just, in general, like I've talked to people about like your diving and I'm like, man, I just want like, you know, you're at the Olympic trials and you're right there. And I'm like screaming and cheering. And I'm like, and it's like, ah, like talk to us a little bit about like timing, like timing just seems to be whether it is on your side or not. Like, I think, you know, you talked about the year 2020 before COVID, everything was going awesome. You were on fire ready to go like i bet there's a lot of people in america that would have been like yep david's going to be one of our representatives um at that next olympics and that one year difference or you know like even uh backtrack just a little bit like brandon told us all about his knee issues like and now he's training more than he ever has and it's like imagine like talk to us about timing and like how that how that goes through your head not so much as like when you were an athlete but now like how do you reconcile with the timing of everything so, I mean, kind of how I think about stuff is like, I've always said that, you know, everything happens for a reason and like, there's a reason why things happen in your life. So like, for some reason, there was a reason why I never got to go to the Olympics, but because of that, I mean, the, like the man that I've become from dealing with, you know, the hardest thing that you can go through in our sport twice is just like how mentally tough it makes you. And yeah, I'm still like, you know, recovering from it because, you know, you spend your entire life you know, right. building up to that point. And then like, you have, like the, like the peaks are the top of Everest and the lows are the bottom of the Marianas trench, you know, they're a yeah. hundred thousand feet apart. Yeah. So like the highs are high and the lows are low, but you have to look at it like, okay, yeah, it sucks. It didn't happen, but like, what can we take from this and yeah. move forward with it? So like, that's why like in the first, like um, in 2016, that was probably the best thing that ever happened to my career was me not making it because of how I came back in 2017. And, you know, the, not that it wasn't a vendetta that I had, but it was approved. I had to prove to myself that I was worthy enough to be an Olympian. And so that whole year was just, you know, all right, we gotta, we gotta go, we gotta do this score at this meet. We gotta do this, this meet, this is the meet where you have to bring it. Like, this is what we're training for. So you have to take it like that. And like, yeah. And like in the moment it really sucks and it sucks for a while when you have really bad times, but you have to look at it. And like, and I think having a coach too, like Randy was great because he, he, there's, he suffered through it with me. I mean, mm -hmm. he, he had the, I felt worse for him because he had to watch it all. Like mm -hmm. he, he couldn't help me at a certain point. Like he couldn't, you know, make pick me up and throw me in the water for my last dive. Like he has to just watch it happen. So like he had to go through that with me as the Dario. And so we kind of all came together and we're like, you know, we had a shared goal of like, all right, we're not going to, it's going to happen again. And like COVID with that whole thing, that'll never happen again. And I'm so glad about that because I don't want anyone to go through what we had to go through in that year. But I mean, I'm so, I'm so thankful of like the, the, the valleys and peaks that I went through in my career because it made me into the athlete that I am today for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. So speaking of those peaks before, before I ask my, my question here, but speaking of those peaks, you look back at your athletic career, what's the moment that stands out to you the most? 
Hmm. Um, I would probably say my NCAA title in 2017, just um, because that was just for me personally and for Randy, that was in the pool that, um, you know, still, still beat me out to go to the Olympics. And that was the pool where I beat him out for his sweep for his um, NCAA <laughs> yeah. thing. Not to dawn on you still, but we, 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 we battled for forever, buddy. I mean, going from the time that we were 12, trying to duke it out as he was going to junior Pan Ams, junior worlds. I mean, we, we duked it out for forever, man. And I think that like, just to come back from that meet and, you know, that's when my back started to hurt and to come in and, you know, put the list together and get it done. That was, that meant more to me than, you know, getting that world, the world, the medals at worlds were awesome and stuff, but just for me personally, that NCAA title sticks out. I mean, I, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it now. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, what would you tell to a young diver that's listening that's aspiring to be great? Don't stop. The worst thing that you can do is what was is stopping. And I think one of the big things that, you know, I wish that I had done more of, like especially towards, you know, college time, you know, influences happen, but you know, really, you know, investing 100% in yourself because no one else is going to do the dives for you. So, like for me growing up as a kid, you know, that was back before, like, I mean, we had cell phones and stuff, but it was a flip phone. Like, you know, I'm not sending videos of like my back two and a half tuck on a, like a razor phone. Like that wasn't. <laughs> yeah. So what we were doing was, you know, we'd film it and I would just study it. I would just study it. And I was like, why, how can I make this better? And I would just religiously watch, you know, other divers and watch how other people did it because I would, and I would take little bits from everyone else and figure out how it was going to help me do the best dive that I could do. So it's just basically be a sponge. And, you know, one mm -hmm. of the big things that I can recommend as well um, is just kind of just be quiet and listen because there's a lot of people that have a lot of great things to say. And if you kind of be quiet, sometimes just put yourself, you know, right next to the people who are kind of dropping some knowledge. You can learn a lot. Like for me, I was very fortunate in kind of the coaches that brought me up. I mean, I had Drew, jo Drew Hansen, Olympic coach. Vince Panzano helped me out because he was the Ohio State coach at the time, one of the best coaches of all time. Justin Socher, you know, drove me all the way up when I was a kid. National titles, like NCAA stuff, world stuff, did all of that. Randy and Dario, two world-class coaches, Olympians, NCAA champions. Like, I was just so lucky. John Appleman as well, you know, world-class coach, a um, bunch of world divers as well. Just, I was so fortunate to be around all these great coaches. And I think kind of when I, my diving kind of went to the next level was when I started to, like, it wasn't that I wouldn't hang out with the divers, but when I was on deck, I was talking to the other coaches and sitting down with the coaches and listening, you know, like I was listening to their corrections and how they were coaching their divers, and, you know, just being a sponge and figuring out, you know, like, so I would watch another tower diver and see how their coach would coach them and figure out what they were doing and how it worked for them. So I would just sponge, like be a sponge and take it all in. And that's why I just didn't go in my own world because I was just taking little bits all the time of how to make myself better. I, awesome. <clears throat> I loved what you said about kind of alluding to like the social media type of thing, work in silence and let people see the finished product, but you know, do your, do your work on your own in the silence and get better on your own for you. I think that is not done nearly enough this day and age. I know Joe Burrow famously said almost the same exact thing. He said, you know, don't, don't post your Instagram workouts. Don't do this. Don't do that. 
just let people see that finished product. And I mean, he's been to the Super Bowl. It's like this guy came out of nowhere and all he's doing is working hard. And, mm -hmm. you know, that is kind of the message that I try to instill into my divers. And every once in a while you see a, a dive on that WSM site. And I'm like, guys, we're not, we're not doing this. We're not posting these. This is it's not what we want to be doing. But I think it's so important to just do exactly what you're saying and just grind in the silence and let people see when it's all said and done and the journey is important for you, but it's not important for everybody else to see. <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, in diving too, it's, you know, it's, it's an individual sport at the end of the day. And I think mm -hmm. I, a lot of people kind of forget that, but like, you know, if you really want to take your game to the next level, you have to, you know, put other people's feelings aside, you know, like, mm -hmm. especially once you get up a certain age, you know, like when you're in high school, you know, like that's your time when, you know, yeah, it sucks that you can't go to that party or go to that movie or go to that football game, but it's going to be a hell of a lot better if you put that time in at practice and you get a scholarship to go dive at your dream school mm -hmm. while your other buddies stayed home in the same town and just did the same thing. So yeah. it's like, yeah, you can stay with the herd and do what everyone else is doing, but you got to step away from that and do your own thing in order to propel yourself into greatness. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's let's segue here. I want to know everything you can tell me about Dinsmore Fishing Charters. <laughs> so the name was pretty much because I couldn't figure out any kind of cheesy gimmicky <laughs> name. So that's why I just stuck with Dinsmore Fishing Charters. And um, yeah, it was like one of those things where, you know, I was in college and um you know, I didn't, I came into school as an engineering student and quickly found out that to travel and do all the diving that I was doing and do engineering was not really possible. <laughs> so I didn't necessarily have the best grades, so I couldn't really get into the business school. So I um, it was in sports admin, which was fantastic. And um, I learned a lot from that. Um, but I realized too, like doing an internship within sports admin that I didn't want to be behind the scenes. Like, cause I was like working tables and stuff like that. And, you know, setting up all the visuals and everything. And I'm like, man, I want to be out there. I don't want to be, you know, yeah. setting all this stuff up. So that for me was like, well, I mean, that's kind of the route that I'm going on. But like the coaching was like the sports happened was to be a coach. That was kind of the whole dream. And then kind of COVID happened. And then, you know, I saw a lot of my friends at that point getting like losing their jobs. And so I was like, wow, the one thing that we thought was the most secure thing ever, which was getting a college coaching job is not as scary as we thought it was. So that yeah. got my wheels turning. And I found out that being a fishing guy was a, you know, a legitimate career opportunity. And I just love to fish. I mean, that's when I wasn't diving. That's what I was talking about, thinking about. I mean, I would tie flies and tie leaders and just all of that stuff. Like I was just obsessed with it in the same way that I was obsessed with diving. So, and that's kind of when my diving career came to an end, I was like, well, I can either go, you know, kind of get a job and fish on the side or just double down and go well and on fishing like I did diving and, you know, make it my life. So that's what I did. And I, I'm so happy that I did that because, you know, every day is still a learning thing. And like, I I'm listening to myself talk about diving and I'm thinking that to myself now, because, you know, now I'm the young kid and I'm all excited, you know, I'm ready to, you know, go out there and meet everyone. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, like I've still got a lot of stuff to do before I can put myself up there with a lot of other captains that have been doing it for, you know, 20, 30 years. Like mm -hmm. there's a long, like it, it, this made me realize like diving was a much shorter window, whereas fishing is my entire life. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm probably going to be, I'm hopefully going to fish for the next 50, 60 years. 
So I'm looking at it now like, okay, I've got 50, 60 years. I can't even imagine where I'm going to be at that point. So I'm just going to work as hard as I can to get as good at it and learn as much as I can every day. So I That's just like a learning perspective and, you know, you know, there's a lot of days where I don't catch fish and I don't find fish, but you know, that's all part of it. So that's you awesome. Day, you take it. I mean, yeah. You're, you're learning a front jump all over again. Just in a different <laughs> pool. <laughs> yeah. So what's your, uh, what's your favorite fish to catch? Do you eat what you catch? Like, and when you take people out, like, do you catch dinner and how can people connect with you? Yeah. So a lot of the fishing that I do is um, sight fishing on the, in the shallow water flats. So a lot of it is um, catch and release only just because okay. um, of how the sport fishing is down here in Isla Morada. You know, you're not allowed to keep bonefish. You're not allowed to keep tarpon. And then you are allowed to take a redfish snook or a permit home for dinner. But that fish is worth more alive than it is dead. So hmm. how we look at it is, you know, we treat the resource properly. You know, we take care of the fish. You know, we catch the fish. Yeah. But we release them so that way we can catch that fish another day. So and then kind of leading into that, my favorite fish to catch is a bonefish. You know, they get up to be, you know, 30 inches long, but they also can be up to about 15 pounds. And they're like the sixth fastest fish that swim in the ocean. Yeah. So you get a little two pound fish and all of a sudden you've got a hundred yards of line out before you can even blink. So it's just that, that run is just so exhilarating. Like you just can't stop it and they're just gone. That's so, sweet. That's so yeah. cool. <laughs> so how can, uh, how can people connect with you if they want to go out fishing with you? Yeah, so I have a um, through my Instagram, my main Instagram. I'm posting a lot of stuff. I've been really bad about social media the last like two years, just because like I really don't have a whole lot of content. Like when you spend a lot of time on it by yourself fishing, like I'm not taking the phone out and taking a bunch of pictures. So I just have the reason why I don't post anymore. If anyone's wondering, is I have no content. Like I'm just like working and trying to you know make it happen. So um, a lot of that's just like you can my main Instagram, David underscore Dinsmore, and also my Instagram um, for my business um, at Dinsmore Fishing Charters. Cool. It, it, it also kind of just sounds like you get a lot of peace out on the water. Like if you are out fishing a lot by yourself, like you've had a lot of time to just reflect. Like it has to almost be like a meditation for you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was, and you know, that was one thing, like now I'm thinking about it, like that's why I like 10 meter when I was growing up was because no one else was doing it. I mean, like I was like one of the, it was me and Murphy Bromberg that were really the only like people on our team doing 10 meter. And we would just compete against each other because we were kind of learning it all at the same time. So like I was kind of up there. I was the only guy on my team growing up in club ever doing tower. So I had that whole peace of mind by myself and I liked it being by myself. So then in fishing, you know, it's the time where I can be by myself and just focus on me. And, you know, you learn a lot about yourself and, you know, just I'm a loud dude in general. So having it, you know, one of my favorite things would be peace and quiet away from everyone else is kind of ironic. But, <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. I love it. All right. And then share with us one of your craziest catch stories. Ooh. Um, <laughs> so this wasn't a fish that I caught. It was a fish that I was with one of my buddies. So it was one of the days where it was blowing like probably 20 knots. And um, so kind of like how we fish to kind of set it up is it's a flats boat. So it's, you know, 17 feet long. You have an angler up on the front and you have the captain up on the back, you know, on a pulling platform, which is about three feet elevated on the boat. And you've got like a 20 some inch push pull moving the boat around. So it's blowing like 20 knots. And, um, you know, my buddy, I put him on his fish and he hooks up. He's like, all right, I need you to come down and help land this fish. And so, and like how we usually do it is, you know, you stick the pole in, in the water and then you tie it off and you get down. 
But this day, the current and wind was ripping so hard that we had blown off the flat into like four feet of water. I tried to stick the pole down, and the pole went one way, and the boat went the other. And so I just get yanked back in. I'm holding onto the pole like this, try, the, trying to grab onto the back of the boat because, like, I was going to lose both of them. And he's got his fish on, so he's busy. So I'm just trying to hold on. I've got my phone in my pocket. I walk it, uh, my phone in my pocket. I got to throw it into the boat. And my buddy, meanwhile, at this point, he whips his phone out and he's like, hey, David, land my fish for me. And he brings the fish all the way up and slaps me in the face with it. So I'm just kind of like, hold on for dear life. <laughs> the video was pretty epic. But then I ended up getting back in and I lost the phone out of it. But I was just like, okay, not doing that again. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> uh. Oh, so, yeah. Heath, you okay over there, buddy? Yeah, that, that was just a good one. That, you got, yeah, that was, you yeah, got you him got, good You there. got me on that one. Good. Um, so the next ones are kind of just rapid fire, just random tidbits. What What's a good Netflix show that you would recommend? You know, I'm not really a big Netflix guy anymore. Um, at the time, like my favorite show I ever watched on Netflix was How I Met Your Mother. I don't know if yep. it's still out there, but How I Met that's Your Mother, a, yeah. That's a good one. All right, and favorite food? Ooh, um... Skyline Chili. That's probably still. <laughs> yeah. All right. And uh, favorite music to listen to. What'd you, uh, what'd you jam to when you were diving? No. So that was, that's kind of a loaded question. It was kind of dependent on the mood. Like, and if I was listening, I had like a set of like pump up songs that I would listen to, like kind of like, I don't know, intense EDM. We'd listen to that a lot in Miami just because being in Miami, that's what we did. And so I would like have a bunch of pump up songs that like I would religiously listen to before competing that would like kind of put me in the right mindset. And then pretty much I, my playlist would kind of go off how I was feeling. Like if I was listening to music and I was pumped up, I would keep the pumped up stuff. But if I kind of missed a die and needed to calm down, I would switch on to like some like, I don't know, like country music or something a little bit slower to kind of like match my vibe and then like try to just get back in and like kind of calm down. So I would, Listen to music, whatever kind of the mood was, like whether it was rock and roll, country, EM, those are kind of the big three. Did you ever make it to Ultra? I know that's usually in Miami, isn't it? No, I always had NCAAs. Uh, okay. <laughs> that's, a good, that's, that's a good reason to miss it, though. Yeah. And I kind of towards the end, I was glad that I didn't go. It was, I mean, it's, I mean, I would have loved to, but when you're around it so much, you kind of get, I don't know. I, yeah. I wasn't really into the whole scene towards the end. So, yeah, good so call. So I do have one more question that we don't have on here. And I'm like, sad. We have not asked all the Miami divers. This give us your best Randy Abelman story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the reaction I was waiting for. So this is, this is great. So one time uh, this was, I was a freshman and um, you know, I was having a bad track record of losing stuff on the pool deck, that being chamois and wrist guards. So I, um, it was, I had left my wrist guards there the night before and I was going through my bag and like on the way to the pool in the car. And I was like, Oh no, I can't find my wrist guards in my mind. I'm like, you know, they're going to find them. Like it's not that big of a deal. But in Randy's mind, the last time that I said, I can't find my wrist guards was when we were in worlds in Kazan because I had left my wrist guards on the side of the hot tub because we had walkouts for semifinals and the cleaning ladies, the babushkas, moved my wrist guards <laughs> so 
Randy will never let me forget that. So we get to the pool, and Randy was pissed at me already. So I'm at where I just to set the stage, right? And so I'm warming up at the end of the lap lanes underneath the scoreboard. And Randy, I look over, and he sees me, and he's by, like, where the uh, where they put those, like, um, the stand-up boards sometimes yeah. uh, where the, by the where, where the one-meters were. And I look over, and he starts to beeline for me. And so I just start, you know, like stretching and I look over and Randy's head down. Whenever Randy's head down charging, you're screwed. So <laughs> Randy's got like head down charging at me. And I just knew I was like, oh, no. And a couple one of my teammates saw Randy hauling and he was just like, oh, this is going to be great. And Randy just gets in my face screaming at me. I'm like, this is like the morning of like my 10 meter prelim or something like just in my face. Don't you ever forget these again. I swear to God, if I ever have to do this again and get in your face and make you do this, then you're off the team. And I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> it's like dumb body because he hadn't yelled at me at that point. And so, and I know all of Randy's divers have a distinct moment where they remember Randy getting on him for the first time. And I just will never forget him moving that fast. And I've never <laughs> seen him move that fast ever again. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It was good. Oh, I, oh, I totally good. deserved it. Randy, if you're listening to this, I totally deserved it. <laughs> it's all in good fun. <clears throat> all right. So we'll get into our signature questions. Uh, David, we don't treat failure like it's a bad thing. We treat failure like an opportunity for growth. So from that perspective, maybe you've already touched on it previously, but what would you say your favorite failure is or your best opportunity for growth? Ooh. Um, that's a really good question. Um, honestly, I think it was when I was um, 14. You know, I had a lot of issues with mental blocks growing up. So in like kind of like my first year, 14, 15, you know, that was against Steel and Dashwell Enos for, um, for Pan Ams that year. And I didn't make the cut because I couldn't get myself to do the 10 meter dives. Like I was so scared that I couldn't get myself to go up to 10 meter and actually do the big dives. So they outdid me and out DD'd me and outdove me. And so I came home from that meet and I was like, okay, if I want to make it to junior worlds next year, I have to have a full 10 meter list. Like it's not an option. So, and I struggled a lot. Like it took me, like I got lost in the back two and a half, one and a half in 2010. And it took me 18 months to do that dive again, because I was so scared. Like I would shake, like I tried so many times to just walk up and do the dive I'm probably sure there's a bunch of my old teammates listening to this, like just shaking their heads because they couldn't believe I didn't want to just go do it. But it took me forever. And then it actually took Grayson Campbell coming in and, and diving with us for a couple of days. And he went up and did it. And I was like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So then I went up and did it again. But so I kind of like realizing that like it's all it's all in your head. And, you know, it's all diving is all as hard as you want to make it be. And it's easy as you want to make it be. So like in that and seeing how, you know, he just went up and did it show that I can just go do it. And so I gained a lot of confidence from that. So I got my full tenure um, for junior worlds that year. And, you know, and then the next year coming in, I was still having a lot of mental blocks. So I learned 207, but I still didn't have a gainer because I had struggled a lot with gainers. So I could be in my first senior nationals with a 301B and yeah. And so then Dang. the next year I came in to, um, that was in 2013 in Iowa. And then in 2014, I learned Garrett three and a half tuck a month before world <laughs> cup trials in Austin. 
And I think it was my best dive of that meet. And I ended up <laughs> making it to World Cup. So, like, ab- like seeing that, like, the reason why I wasn't going to a meet is because of something that I just wasn't doing. That showed me that, like, okay, like, no one else is going to do this for you. Like, if you want to go do it, you got to do it. So. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. super cool. <clears throat> um, So, my next one here, I could go two different ways. You're very seasoned in the NCAA world and the USA diving world. And usually I ask, you know, whatever arena you come from the most, how can they improve? So feel free to take that however you want, whether from the USA diving perspective or NCAA perspective, it's kind of a two-parter. So one, how can they improve? And two, what can we do to help those improvements? Um, Like how can NCAA diving and USA diving improve? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. So uh, ooh, I mean, um, hmm. so I think the one thing that it's kind of tough because, you know, they're kind of battling schedules off of each other. And I think one of the biggest kind of not issues that I had, but like winter nationals always annoyed me because like you weren't like you were like the fall was always such a time where like, you know, it kind of just coming back from injuries or whatever. But at the same time, like you had a lot of guys that were kind of in the midst of their college season. And so like, it was kind of a crapshoot to say the, like for better words. And like, so like sometimes you would go into to winter nationals and you'd have your guys that, you know, put the USA diving stuff in front of that. They would do really well. But you had your college guys that, you know, they were, you know, trying to get points and you're worried about the dual meets they wouldn't do as well because that's where their kind of focus was. And that I think that's why, and the same thing at NCs, you know, you had some people that, you know, not that they didn't put as much emphasis on NCs, but you know, NCAAs was on the back burner. Like it didn't matter as much to them of winning an NCAA title. It was okay. We've got this meet and then we've got world world series coming up. The yada, yada, yada. So I think it was just more of like, I think, the kind of timing wise sucks because you have to, you have to have your collegiate season in the spring and you have to have a winter nationals and you have to have like something in the summer. So like just timing wise, it was always annoying with having world series meets kind of like go back and forth with the NCAA meets. But that, I mean, I was also, I can't really complain about it because I was very fortunate to qualify for both. I'm not complaining that I couldn't do both, but like, it was just like just how the schedule was and there was no other way they could have done it. And I think they did everything really well. I think sometimes just more of like how school schedules were with how winter nationals worked. That was the most annoying thing, but that was kind of out of everyone's control. But um, I don't know. I kind of wish that like some people put a little bit more emphasis on NCAA diving and in the sense of like making it as important as USA diving meets and like qualifier meets in the sense of like, I always really enjoyed those competitions. It seemed like sometimes you'd have a couple of guys that were really in it with you, but also a couple of times where they were just like, okay, we've just got to get through this meet so we can go to this world series event next week. Whereas I was like, we got two opportunities. Like we got two meets back to back. Like let's do it. Like let's have some fun. Like let's go out, let's go all out and see who can, you know, put it together twice in a row. So that's why yeah. and like with the NCAA stuff, you know, when you had your zones, um, like the zone meets, like I, we were always a big proponent of doing both lists on 10 meter. And mm-hmm. a lot of guys, you know, I understand they've got to like, you know, bring, they've got to get other teammates in, you know, towards like, you have to like dive down in order to get another teammate in. But I always just, you know, that's another opportunity for you to do a list in front of judges, yep. you know, and they're the ones that are going to be scoring you. And these are coaches too. So like, 
these are guys who are going to be scoring you another meet. So the more times yeah. that you do your dives to the best that you can in front of them, the more that's going to help you in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, also you're a gamer though. You want to compete because that's yeah. when you're going to perform your best. I was actually just talking to some of my athletes because we have a pretty large team and I kind of broke the news to him. We have a full meet schedule next year, which we're so like, I'm ecstatic about it. And most of our kids, like once they get their cuts, cause D two does it way different than D one and it's dumb, but they get their cuts and it's like, all right, we're training for nationals. And all those meets along the way are measuring sticks. Like how can we get better from that point and, and just use them to get better. Um, so yeah, you're a gamer. So of course you want to compete more. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, David, favorite drill. Ooh, favorite drill. Um, I really liked back arm stand or six, two, three D I guess on five meter. Um, just because that dive is so 6245 D is probably one of the hardest dives that you can do on tower in the sense that you have to get it so perfectly stuck, but move it fast enough to make it like you have to get yourself popped up and into the position, because if you cut it down too quick, you're either going to hit your feet or you're going to land flat on your back. And if you get too stuck, you might hit your feet and land flat on your stomach. So you had to pick that right amount of pop to where you were almost parallel with the tower and you got up. So that way you could get into it and you had enough room and enough drop time to drop into it like you would a back one half, two and a half twist. So you had right. that pop action was just basically to make it feel like I was getting ready to do a back one and a half, two and a half twist. And so doing that drill over and over <clears> again, <throat> as opposed to doing like the half twist or, you know, doing the twist lead up itself, which I think both have a lot of benefits. But for me, I took the most gain out of getting just that straight pop off of the uh, five minute. Perfect. Best advice you've ever given and or received? Um, ooh. Um, not, this wasn't really advice, but kind of just more like Randy would always give little tidbits of advice that weren't really advice, but you kind of realize them they were later on. And he was goes, you'd always say, you know, the world's your oyster and you know, you've got the world right here, you know, do with that what you will. And also it's your world and I'm just living in it. And so kind of when I stuck step back and I was like, Whoa, like you think about it like that, like, yeah, I'm in control of the stuff that I'm in control of and I can't control you're like, I couldn't control what Randy was going to do for dinner that night, but I could control what I was going to do. But I knew that we were both going to show up at the pool the next day. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I like yeah. it. All right. So, it's not on the, I got another one for you that's uh, off topic. You had the best mullet in diving. <laughs> and now, and now I've noticed that Brody has also yeah, Brody. has a mullet. Is that Brody. a Miami thing, or is that just a coincidence? So Brody had the mullet first. I will give Brody all the credit. Brody, you could take it. You had the mullet first. I will say that I took a little more pride in styling the mullet. I, I because not that I didn't like how Brody's looked, but Brody's was a little bit more, you know, hanging out with your buddies. Ooh, you got a pair of clippers. Let's see who's going to get a haircut. Whereas I was like, okay, you know, the mullet's kind of coming in style a little bit. I got to make sure I look good. So I wanted to make sure that like it was kind of tucked right, you know, had the right flow. And like, that was where I was at. But speaking of that, I was pissed because going into the whole reason for the mullet was we were all going to do it for that, our last season. And then right. going into ACCs, I was the only one that had a mullet. Everyone else <laughs> So I was committed all the way through. And these guys just gave me. 
So like, what the hell, guys? <laughs> Cooper, Cooper never did it, but I never thought I, I knew I wasn't going to get him on board with it. But Max Flory also had one. He also decided to get a haircut. So, sounds oh, to me man. like if I, I don't know if Max does Max have another year of eligibility? I would I I would guess he does. I, I, I think so. I think he does. Sounds like he needs to do a mullet for that super senior year. Is what it sounds like to me. I think it'd make his fifty one fifty six even cooler. <laughs> yeah. Dude, dude, the mullet just must be a, an Aus, an Aussie thing. I mean, Cameron Smith, stud golfer, he's rocking a mullet. He's kind of the only one on tour rocking a mullet. And then you got Brody just. You know, it's it's the wild dingo look. I I'm yeah. loving it, and it needs to keep catching on. I liked it. It was more. It was kind of too. Like I looked at it, like you know, it's my senior year of college. If I'm ever gonna have a mullet and be able to get away with it, it's right now. Like if I if I told my girlfriend that I was gonna grow a mullet back, I'm pretty sure she'd shave it off in my sleep. <laughs> I, I'm trying to get my wife on board with letting me have one before we have our baby, and that ain't going. That's not going well. <laughs> it's not going well. I'm I'm gonna be. I keep telling her. I said. I'm not cutting my hair until our kid has long enough hair and we're both going to the barbershop and both coming home with a mullet. And she's like, I'll kill you. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> uh, David, who would you like to hear us interview next? Ooh. Um, that's a really good question. I'm trying to think of people that you haven't gotten yet. Um, I think Grayson Campbell would be a good one just because um, him and I talk a lot about it, it um, just about diving and how things have changed over the years. And he was kind of um, with, he was the younger end of um, kind of like my generation and how um, it seemed like there was a little bit of a shift after us because we were kind of like the dart fish age and like, that's all we did. So like, and he was the springboard diver and I was the platform one kind of of our age group growing up. So Grayson would be a good one. And um, also Murphy Bromberg. All right. Awesome. Um, no, this was incredible. So um, everybody that's listening, remember camps and clinics. We're going to start pumping those out again on Instagram. Sign up for them if you're able to. Um, but before Aaron does our send off, Dins, thank you so much. I was looking forward to this one. Once uh, you started messaging us back on Instagram. Thank you so much. Um, I do have to ask you how the heck do I get a uh, Dinsmore fishing charters hat? Cause I will wear yeah. that every day, <laughs> but yeah. uh, th thank you so much, man. Of course, man. The t-shirts and hats are not out yet. I know Michael Hickson has a t-shirt on reserve, so I got to get him one of those before his wedding. <laughs> awesome. Sweet. Well, if you're out there listening, hit us up on Instagram. We are at the diving pod. Our email is the diving pod at gmail.com. Again, our t-shirts and hoodies and hats are for sale at divingpod.itemorder.com. Just enter divepod at checkout for free shipping. Dins, again, thank you, man. It was an absolute blast. Nice to get to know you and put a face to a very recognized diving name. And, and good luck with that fishing charter, man. I'm excited. I got to get down there. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on. You know, I've, I've been kind of kind of wanting to get back into all of it. I miss it a lot. I love, I love diving more than anything. And, um, you know, I hope that, you know, a lot of the listeners and a lot of the kids listening to this, you know, get a lot out of this and, you know, it helps them on their journey because all I want to see is people be successful. And I want to see people have fun and go out there and just enjoy it as much as I did. That's all. That's all I want to see kids happy doing it. Good deal. I love it, man. All right. Well, we'll see you next time.